Let's turn in God's word today to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5, this is sometime after uh, the time that they spent at the river Jordan waiting for the Lord to show them what was next. They were going into the promised land and um, now they have crossed the river. They've put up their, their markers. If you remember when the river was dry, they built a marker within the center of the river And they built a marker on the other side so that those who came by later generations to come would remember what the Lord had done. And now they're entering the promised land and they come upon the first city within the promised land. The first, the biggest, the meanest fortress of the promised land. This is quite a bit of reading, so I'm not going to ask you to stand today, but I will read uh, this passage. So let's pray. Lord, grant us understanding as we come before you today, that our hearts would be enlivened by your word, that we would have clarity of thought and understanding, Lord, that we would know what it is that you call us to do because of what your word says, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, and I'll read all the way through chapter 6. Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold... A man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, rather I indeed come now as captain of the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. No one went out, no one came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and the valiant warriors, and you shall march around the city, all the men of war, circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. Also seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Then on the seventh day you shall... March around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And it shall be that when they make a long, make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up, every man straight ahead. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant, and let seven priests carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. Then he said to the people, Go forward and march around the city, and let the armed men go on before the ark of the Lord. And it was so that when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward and blew the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the ark while they continued to blow the trumpets. But Joshua commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout, nor let your voice be heard, nor let a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I tell you. Shout to the Lord. 
then you shall shout. So he had the ark of the Lord taken around the city, circling it once. Then they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Now Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, and the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of the ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew the trumpets, and the armed men went before them, and the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while they continued to blow the trumpets. Thus the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did so for six days. Then it came about on the seventh day that they rose early at the dawning of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. Only on that day they marched around the city seven times. And it came about at the seventh time when the priest blew the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city shall be under the ban. It and all that is in it belongs to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot and all who are with her in the house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But as for you, only keep yourselves from the things under the ban, lest you covet them and take some of the things under the ban, so you would make the camp of Israel accursed and bring trouble on it. But all the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and priests blew the trumpets. And it came about when the people heard the sound of the trumpets that the people shouted with a great shout and the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight ahead, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed everything in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. And Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the harlot's house and bring the woman and all she has out of there as you have sworn to her. So the young men who were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers and all she had. They also brought out all her relatives and placed them outside the camp of Israel. If you remember, they weren't Jewish. They weren't Israelites. So they were outside the camp unclean until a time which was appropriate that they could be brought into the camp. 24. And they burned the city with fire and all that was in it. Only the silver and gold and articles of bronze and irons they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. However, Rahab the harlot and her father's household and all she had, Joshua spared. And she has lived in the midst of Israel to this day, for she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And Joshua made them take an oath at that time, saying, Cursed be, cursed before the Lord is the man who rises up and builds this city, Jericho. With the loss of his firstborn, he shall lay its foundation, and with the loss of his youngest son, he shall set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. This is the inspired word of God for us today. And I believe it is in Second Kings that this prophecy comes true. Uh, one individual decides to rebuild that city, and with the loss of his children, he does so. All right, we all know the song, right? We need to sing it. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls come a tumbling down. It's a good song, isn't it? It's good. It it makes you sing, gets you excited, but it's bad theology, isn't it? It's bad theology. What do you mean, Rand? Didn't Joshua fought the battle of Jericho? No, he didn't. Who fought the battle of Jericho? God fought the battle of Jericho. What was Joshua's part? Obedience. Go in and clean it up. 
I mean, who ever heard of an army marching around the city silently six days in a row? Can you imagine what the people of Jericho were doing? They probably wouldn't waste food to throw in. They were probably throwing rocks, calling them by name, um, whatever trash they had. They were probably trying to throw it out on the people as they marched around making fun of them. You know, maybe the first day they were a little scared. But by day five and six, they're up there giving them strawberries, raspberries, whatever, and just making fun of them. And then the seventh day, they march around and around and around, and they all shout. And what happens? The walls come a-tumbling down. And everybody went how? Straight in. What does that tell you? All the walls came tumbling down. Except for what? Rahab's house. Now you can imagine, her house was built into the wall. So here is this great walled city. The cities were probably thick enough, uh, I don't know, maybe to ride a chariot on. So that makes them, let's say, ten feet thick. And Rahab's house is on the wall And she's got the red thread hanging out of it, so everybody knows what it is and whose house it is. And all the walls of Jericho come tumbling down except for this one little bit that is Rahab's house. That's what it says. Okay? Now, the battle was the Lord's. There wasn't any real battle for Joshua and the Israelites. It was all done. All they had to do is believe what the Lord told them. Now, the Israelites didn't always have that great of track record in believing what the Lord had told them. You know, who was left at this time from the original crowd that went into the pro- that was supposed to go into the promised land? Joshua and Caleb, the two spies that went into Canaan, into the promised land, and said, yes, there are giants that live there, but it is a land flowing of milk and honey. The Lord has given us this land. Let's go in and take it. But what did the other ten spies say? No, we can't go in. It's too big. The cities are too fortified. We can never beat them. And the Lord said, that generation will pass away except for Joshua and Caleb. They were the only two that went into the promised land. The Lord had promised them this entire land. And Joshua was, geographically, he was going to make a swath right down the middle of the promised land. And Jericho was the first and largest walled city that must be taken. And if you you go to Israel, you can go to these archaeological sites and you can see as they dig down into the earth, there is this black layer in the dirt. You know, so far down, and that coincides with the time of Joshua coming through the promised land. Destroyed everything. Why did he go in and burn and destroy everything? That's what the Lord said to do. We'll get there in just a moment. Now you can imagine that it says here in in chapter 6, verse 1, Jericho was tightly shut because the sons of Israel... No one, because of the sons of Israel, no one went out and no one came in. They were not willing to go out and fight Israel in the open field. They were going to rely upon the size and strength of their wall. Israel, I can just imagine what they were thinking. These crazy Israelites, they'll throw themselves against our wall. Nobody has come in, much like uh, Troy. You know, we will stay here behind these walls. No one will get in. No one will bother us. But you remember, the Israelites had spent... Three days on the other side of the Jordan River. And the Jordan River was at flood stage. So here is this roar of the river as it goes by them. And all they know is that the Lord says the promised land is on the other side of this river. And that's where you are going to go. 
And, and you can imagine the talk around the fire at night. The Lord says we're going there, but have you heard that river? Do you see how high it is? How are we going to get across that? And the Lord says, take the ark, and the priests go. He says, step into the river. Now, the river, again, is at flood stage. So it is very high, it is very fast, and the only way, you can't, you can't go like this into the river. It's not a gradual thing. It is, here is the edge, and there is the river. So the priest holding the ark had to step all the way in. And as soon as they stepped in, what happened? We read back in chapter 3. River stopped. It stopped flowing, and they went across. See that when the Lord says it's time to go, you go, and you. And often He sits. He makes us sit there and look at what is impossible to overcome. He says, "I want you over there," and you're thinking, "Well, the river's fast and the river's wide. The obstacles are too vast for us to overcome." But He says, "But I'm going to take you over there. So be ready. When I command you to go, you will go." Because I will have made the way for you to be successful. They crossed on dry ground. As I said, they built that monument in the center of the river. They built a monument on the other side in the promised land. Back in chapter 5, verse 1, just flip back a page. Now it came about when all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the sons of Israel until they had crossed, that their hearts melted, and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the sons of Israel. Word had gotten out. I mean, you can just imagine that there were spies watching the Israelites on the other side of the river. I mean, you hear this large crowd is is forming on the other side, and you think to some extent you're safe because they can't cross the river, and then your spies report to you, that the river stopped. It stopped and they crossed. They are coming. How can we fight this God who can stop a river? This is the concern of these pagans, Amorites, and these Canaanite kings. Their hearts melted within them. Consequently, they didn't go out and fight Israel. They stayed within their city, hoping their walls would protect them. And the Lord said to Joshua in chapter 6, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and the valiant warriors. Okay? I've given everybody. The best that they have are yours. All you have to do is go in and take them. All you have to do is go in and take them. To win the battle, the battle all Jericho, to win the battle, all Joshua had to do was show up. Was show up and do what the Lord had said. So what was the method of victory here? Obedience was the method of victory. Now, Joshua did not determine how that victory would come about. You can imagine if the Lord had left it in Joshua's hands. Now, I'm going to give you Jericho. You go and take the city. What would have Joshua done? He'd probably gotten together with the brain trust, all his generals, and they said, well, we're going to need ladders. Uh, we're going to need uh, catapults. We're going to need... Uh, maybe we can b- dig a tunnel and, and, and underneath the wall and the wall will collapse and they would have come up with all these plans of men. But the plan of God was get your guys, get your priests, get the ark, give the priests some ram's horn, horns and get the people and start walking. Have them blow the horn and when I tell you to shout, that's the plan of battle. We do not think that way. 
Man does not think the way the Lord thinks. We have these plans, and we think this is necessary, and if we're going to actually do what the Lord calls us to do, we're going to take over Jericho, we're going to beat this city, then we're going to need all these particular plans, and the Lord says, no, you need these plans, the ones that I give to you. You, Then you will be successful. No trenches, no batteries, no battering ram, no military preparation, who ever heard of a mighty fortress demolished by a group of people walking around it, blowing some horns, shouting? God's ways are different than man's ways. The deliverer of the Lord was preserved, the deliverer of the Israelites was preserved in a basket in a river. Moses. David killed Goliath, the Philistine, with what? A sling and a stone. The prophet Elijah was sustained for months by what? The last meal of a widow. Elijah shows up and and he says, make me something. And she says, all I have is some flour and oil and I was going to make some bread for my son and I and then we were going to go die. And he says, make it for me. (laughs) Kind of presumptuous, wouldn't you think? But she's obedient. She makes it for him and what happens? There is food to get her through the famine. Christ, the Deliverer, the Messiah, is born in a stable. He selected as leaders who? Fishermen, common people. The greatest follower of Christ in the first century started out as how? The greatest persecutor of Christians, Saul and Paul. God's ways of success have very little in common with the wisdom of the world. Very little in common with what we think is the way it should be done. Let me give you four things here out of this passage, out of this section here. It's evident that the whole, the whole story, the whole narrative here in, in Joshua about, begins with a conquest of Jericho. And this is the first obstacle to the occupation of the promised land. They get through this one, they can take everything else. So Joshua comes face to face with the messenger of the Lord, chapter 5, verse 13. And he says, are you for us or for our adversaries? Think, well, did the Lord send somebody to join us? Is this how the victory is going to be won because the Lord sends somebody? I mean, we've got to do it some way, right? Well, despite all that Joshua has been through, he hasn't quite learned the way the Lord operates yet. He hasn't learned the right question. The question is not to the angel of the Lord, are you for us or against us? The question Joshua really needs to answer for himself. And in fact, perhaps the battle that Joshua has to win is a battle within himself. The question is not, are you for us? The question is, am I submitting myself to the plan of the Lord? If Joshua would get it into his head that it is not his plan, it's not the people's plan, it's not the people's work, it is the Lord's work. If I can simply fit into the plan of the Lord, then I will be successful. In today's world, we need to ask, where is the Lord at work? That's where we need to go. Okay? Don't say, well, okay, we want to do this. Well, that's great. The question is, does the Lord want to do that? Okay? We spend a lot of time seeking the face of the Lord. And this is where we have come. And we're saying, Lord, we want to be on board with where you are going, what you are doing, the type of ministry that you want us to be involved with. Because whatever plans that we make are doomed to fail unless God has first determined them. Before we can serve Christ faithfully, we have to learn to submit 
completely. If we're going to serve faithfully, we have to submit completely. It used to be, I don't see this bumper sticker anymore. Maybe you had on your car, you know, God is my co-pilot. Sorry, God drives, okay? He doesn't just go along for the ride. He drives. There is no God co-piloting. There is Randy fitting in with God's plan. That's the way it has to be. Secondly, God's strategy, as we said, kind of peripherally, is unusual. There are armed men, yes, but they don't attack the wall. There is the priest following. They have horns. Now, there are two kinds of horns. One is a metal horn that would call people to do certain things, and then there is the ram's horn that would call people to worship. The day of Jubilee was announced with the blow of this ram's horn. Forgiveness of sins was announced in this fashion. This is the type of horn that is blown as they go around Jericho. It is a horn geared more towards worship than war. Worship than war. Okay? And then they take the ark. And look how the, the thing is structured here. We have the leaders, we have the army, we have the ark, we have more, and we have people. Whenever the Israelites moved through the desert, they moved in this fashion. Okay, It was very particular how the Lord ordered the way that they would move because the center of everything they did was the ark. It was the presence of God. So it goes with them in that fashion as they go around the city. The Lord has said, the battle is mine. I've given them into your hand. As an evidence of this, you will do it in this fashion. So that you can have no doubt that the Lord did the work. That the Lord did the work. Doesn't sound like much of a battle plan, but yet that's the way that God often works, isn't it? What we think is smart, he thinks, is that's foolishness. What we think is foolishness, he thinks is he knows the way to go. The things of the cross, men say, are foolishness. But we know it is that sacrifice. It is we know we know it is that shedding of blood of Christ, the Lamb of God, that forgives our sins, that cleanses them away. Paul says that God delights in the use of the vessels that the world thinks are foolish. He says God just delights in using them for his glory. When we are weak, in our weakness, his strength is perfected. Perfected. Let's look at Rahab for a second. Verse 22. Of chapter 6, I'm sorry. And Joshua said to the two men who spied out the land, Go in the harlot's house and bring the woman and all she has out of there as you have sworn. And as we said, the whole wall fell down except for Rahab's house because she, her house was on the wall. Why was Rahab spared? Was it just dumb luck that the spies showed up and, at her place and she took a liking to Caleb and said, Well, you know, come and hide yourself. And don't won't let anybody see that you're here. You know, maybe her heart was taken by him. Uh, I don't see that. Uh, let's look at chapter two. Go back at chapter two, verse nine, verse ten. This is Rahab talking with the spies. 
For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, in Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And when we heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. And what's it say? Back in verse 9, I know the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. Everybody knows what's going on. Everybody has heard about this God who stops the Jordan, about this God who enables his people to destroy these kings of Sihon and Og. Everybody in Jericho knew, but nobody else believed. There's a distinction between I know what's happening and I believe. There are plenty of people who know about the Lord. There are plenty of people who even know about Jesus Christ, but they do not believe. Rahab and everybody else in Jericho knew about this God. Only she believed. Everybody's heart was melted. Only Rahab's heart was changed. Only did she exercise this faith. This must be true. This must be what is right. And she acted upon that. And because of that, she was spared. Now you think, well, wasn't it unfair that only she was spared? No, everybody else in town knew. Everybody else in town knew. But yet only she acted in faith. Finally, this last part that we can't get around. It seems so violent in our society maybe so senseless, that the Lord told Joshua to go in and kill everybody and everything. And plenty of people have said, have said to me, Randy, I just can't believe in a God that you say is a God that cares for us and a God that loves us, who would order his people to go in and destroy everything, men, women, children, oxen, donkeys, everything, kill it all. Kill it all. Devote it to the Lord is what it says. And these are the things we see, we see throughout the Old Testament what happens to those societies that Joshua does not carry out this command from the Lord. They come back and they infiltrate into Israel and they take the Israelites' hearts away from the Lord. Because they bring in their sin and their pagan worship, even to the point where Israel comes at different times and sacrifices their own children to Moloch and to Baal. Because they did not do what the Lord commanded them to do. The city was shut up. It was afraid. They knew the power of the Israelites, the power of the Lord God. And he says, go in and kill everybody. When we read this, this narrative, this history of the Israelites, we have to say, okay, what's it mean for us today? Okay, this was 4,000 years ago. How can it apply to us today? It's very simple. The battle is the Lord's. He calls us to be obedient. He says, this is what I'm going to do. Help me, then, then, Lord, I want to be on board with you. I want to do what it is that you're calling us to do. I want to walk in obedience. I want to put aside what I think is right, how these things ought to be done, and I want to do them in your way. Even if they seem foolish in the eyes of the world, this is the way I want to do them because they are not foolish in the eyes of God. 
We want to walk in obedience. We want to exercise faith. We know what the Lord has done in the past. Just like Rahab, we have this clear sight. This is the power of the God that rules over everything. Are we going to believe? Are we not going to believe? And when you walk in obedience and belief, you are saved and you are protected. We can either agree and go with God's methods or we will fail in our own strivings. We can either believe that the Lord will do what he has promised and has demonstrated throughout history, or we can rely on ourselves and we will suffer judgment. Well, I don't need, you know, all I need to do is believe in God in the way that I want him to be. And that will get me to heaven. That's not true. Only salvation through Christ is possible. So we can either be forgiven of our sin or be destroyed because of it. Perhaps this greatest lesson in the destruction of Jericho and everything in it is that God will destroy sin. Okay? God will destroy sin. And those not covered by the blood of Christ, those who have not sought forgiveness in Jesus Christ, will be destroyed because of sin. Obedience, submission, belief, faith, these have to be evidenced in our lives as individuals. They have to be evidenced in our life as a church if we are to serve the Lord with all that we are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have called us as individuals and as a church to service, to the proclamation of the gospel, to the mighty works that demonstrate your grace in our lives. Lord, we pray that we would not think your ways are foolish but know that your ways are the right way. Your ways, which have been demonstrated throughout history, are not how we would plan things. But yet they are the ways of success for the things you have called us to do. Lord, help us to see in our own lives, what are those things that you are calling me as an individual believer to do? How might I go about them? How might I exercise faith? How might I put away the foolishness of this world, and walk in the wisdom of your word. And we as a church, Lord, that we may always seek you. You have brought us through so many things. You have brought us across a river. You have brought us through wilderness and, 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 and struggle and trial, and you have blessed us with, with such a, a sweetness and a peace, Lord. How can we continue to seek your face that we might give you glory? That those around us might know the things of Christ. That their lives might be touched with grace and with gentleness and with peace. Lord, make us wise in these ways. That you might be seen in all that we do. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Our hymn is 56, God Will Take Care of You. Let's stand as we sing hymn number 56.